Well, welcome back. Uh, we're, we're in part two of our series. You happen to walk into the middle of a, of a money series. You say, oh, great. I ain't been to church in 10 years. And the last message I heard was on money. And I come back after 10 years, and they're still talking about money. Yes, we're talking about money. But I'm not trying to get anything from you today. You got to hear this. I don't want your money. I want your freedom. I'm after your freedom this morning. You see, I don't belong to a greedy church. I belong to a church where they got some people in here that are strapped. I believe there's, there's, there's those of you here that want to give. You want to do more and you want to give more, but you're strapped. And so all our goal is for this series is to help you get free from being strapped. We don't want you to be strapped. We want you to give like you've never given before. Whenever God asks of you to give. Amen. And so that's our goal. So the reason we're, we're talking about money today is because the Bible talks about money. Five times more in Scripture on money than it does on prayer, heaven, and hell. Did you know that? The Bible talks five times more about money than prayer, heaven, and hell. Something funny about money, right? Look at your neighbor and say something funny about money. (laughs) You're like, yeah, it's funny, all right. Our key verse for this series is Haggai chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. It's a great verse. I want you to listen to it. It says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. How many of you can relate to that verse this morning? Come on, let me see your hands. Make sure I'm preaching to the right church. How many of you, sometimes you feel like you're working your tail off, but you can't get anywhere? You're planting seeds, but you you can't get enough. Is that you this morning? Good, I'm in the right church. Billy Graham said this. Everybody knows Billy Graham, right? Billy Graham said, if if a person can get their attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. Now, if you're going to listen to somebody, I'd listen to Billy Graham. Just saying. 61% of divorce is caused over money issues. 16 out of 32 parables in the Bible talk about our possessions, talk about our things. And the Bible's clear that, that we are to, we're supposed to have things, but things aren't supposed to have us. You see, that, that's when it becomes a problem is when your things get you. Instead of you getting your things and using your things. Uh, we've been going through a Financial Peace University life group. And one of the lessons I heard or one of the statements I heard the other day was a budget is basically this. People hear the word budget, they get a little freaked out. But it's simply put, a budget is this. A budget is you telling your money what to do instead of your money telling you what to do. You see, it's time for us to start telling our money what to do. Instead of it telling us what we can and can't do. And that only comes through freedom. It only comes through freedom. So a lot of us have gotten into this debt cycle. 
And I think it's because we have bad thinking. Maybe we had bad examples when we were growing up. I can't say that. My grandmother was a saver. She had a roll of, of Benjamins in the closet. And, and when I became a teenager, I went looking for that roll one day, and my grandmother was wise because she rehid it because she knew I was looking for it <laughs> in the wrong way. And so some of us have gotten into this vicious cycle called debt because of bad thinking or bad modeling. Our, our government is $20 trillion in debt. I don't even, I don't even know what that is. Uh, way too many zeros. Here's the thing, though. There's going to be a reckoning day. Our government's $20 trillion in debt. Who's going to pay for that? So you got a lot of things going against you right now. Maybe you wasn't exampled to about through your parents or your grandparents. Maybe you wasn't taught properly. And then you, you're living in a country where we're $20 trillion in debt. You're surrounded by bad thinking on money. But the good news is, is there's help. There's help. You want to know where the help is? It's in your Bible. You see, we got to go back to God's principles on how to deal with money. Because God's principles on money are the only ones that work. Come on, I expected a better amen than that. You see, if it, God's God's word has everything that you need. <laughs> it's got every answer you need. It, it's got all the principles you need. It's got all the wisdom you need. It's got all the discernment you need, all the correction you need. The Bible has all the encouragement you need. It has all the vision you need. It has everything that you need. But if you don't get in it, you're just left with need. You see, we can be lazy Christians and not read our Bibles and come to church and expect some man to have a word for us that's going to get us through to the next Sunday. Or maybe you flip on a radio station and listen to some preacher you don't, you've, never, you've never met, you've never shaken his hand, and you're thinking, that, well, I'll just listen to them and they'll get me by. Question, how's that working for you? Because you see, it's called daily bread for a reason. And it's for you. The Bible speaks directly to you. It speaks different to me than it does to you. Amen? So if you're not getting in, then you're left empty-handed. So we have to return to the principles in God's word on how to deal with money. How many of you remember this? Let's see if you can say the name for it. Back in the day, some of you may be old enough to remember this. You used to could go to the store, let's say like Murphy's Mart. Maybe even Kmart. That, that might be a long time for some of you. But you used to go to the store and you would, you would see, let's say you wanted to buy a refrigerator or a stove or a window unit or something. And you went to the store and you, you, you picked out the one you wanted and you brought it to the, to the counter. And you said, I want this. And I'm going to put $100 down on it now. And I'm going to pay you X amount of payments. And when it's paid for, I'm going to come and get it and bring it to my house. How many of you remember what that's called? Layaway. Right? Why do we ever get away from layaway? 
Because it, they still have, but how many people use it? Two, three, four, five and a half. Five and a half people in the church use it. The rest of you are using what? In a plastico. Right? Let me tell you the difference between layaway and plastic. You go to the store with this, and you get to come home the same day with that. Right? And you start a series of payments with interest on that thing that you brought home. By the time you finish paying for that, you don't even know where it is anymore. But when you put something on layaway and you make your payments towards it and you pay your last payment, you get to go get it and it's still in the box and it's still brand new and it's paid for. You get to bring it home, set it up and enjoy it. Right? Bad thinking today. You know, I heard something this week that credit card companies are getting smarter and smarter. They've just put credit cards in the Monopoly game. It gets better. They're going after younger and younger people. You can get a shopping Barbie that comes with a MasterCard. And she can swipe, your kids can swipe a machine and it says something like your, your payment has been accepted. Swiper, no swiping. Swiper, no swiping. You see what's happening, right? You know what the difference is between this and cash? You don't feel this. You don't feel this. You just swipe this and nothing leaves your hand. Right? You can go to six stores and you never lose this. You go to six stores with a $20 bill and you're going to leave out empty-handed. Because every time you're walking out and you're doing this, and something's leaving your hand. Come on, somebody. Something's leaving your hand. So what does that make you do? That makes you feel what? Pain. Oh. It makes you look at the price. Come on, somebody. Oh, my goodness. Milk is getting expensive. Right? Because why? Because you're having to pay for it with cash. And some people say, oh, well, I pay my payment off every month. Well, good. You're still not feeling anything. So we get ourselves into some, some, some tight places and we get ourselves into this debt cycle. And sometimes it gets overwhelming and we, and we lose hope and we can't figure out how to get out. But there's a, there's a basic principle I want you to see today that there's, you took certain steps to get into that debt cycle. And I want to give you certain steps to get out of the debt cycle. Amen. I want to get you out. I want to get you free. And by the way, this message today isn't just about money. You can apply what you learned today about any area in your life. So if you're a good steward of your money and your money's working for you and you're like, great, I got to listen to a money message and my money's already right. Well, just apply it to another area of your life that may not be right. So how do we get into this debt cycle? How do we get strapped? Number one, we believe a lie. We believe a lie. Credit card companies are always saying, why wait? Get it now. You need this. You need that. 
Visa says, has a statement that life accepts Visa. I want to show you something through the story of the parable son. How many of you know the the story of the parable son, the prodigal son? In Luke chapter 15, (laughs) I got a lot of words to say today. Luke chapter 15, go with me to chapter 15. I want to show you something through the prodigal son. He was a guy who got caught up in a, a vicious cycle of debt and he found a way out. So how do we get into this cycle? Number one, we believe a lie. Watch what he says in in verse 11. It says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. You see, before the son got his inheritance, the son was living under the father's leadership. Right? The son was living according to the father's laws or the father's rules or the father's wisdom, right? He had a good life, but there was something inside of him that said that the grass was greener on the other side. That if I can just get my inheritance now, I can go live it up now. You see, people tell you and the devil will tell you that the grass is greener on the other side. But what he, what he doesn't tell you is that the water bill's higher. There's always a reason the grass is greener on the other side. Many people have divorced thinking that they would have a better life with another person. Only to find out that weeds grow on that side of the fence too. So he, he, he wanted his inheritance. He wanted it now. You see, that's, that's a thing you need to see is that it's a now thing. We want things now. Young people, you want what your parents have now. You want now what it took them 30 years to get. And that's where you get yourself in trouble because a credit card can help you get it now. And the whole time you're sinking deeper and deeper and deeper in the debt. There was a survey that came out and it says, The day America told the truth. Pretty weird survey. It says this, they asked the question, What would you be willing to do for $10 million? Think about that. What would you be willing to do for $10 million? 25% of the people said they would abandon their entire family for $10 million. Don't don't put them down. You thought about that too. 23% they would become a prostitute for a week or more. We're talking about $10 million. I mean, think about it. I mean, you sure you don't want to pray about this? $10 million. 16% said they would give up their American citizenship. Ah, Somebody say, well, (laughs) easy, easy. 10% said they they would withhold testimony, letting a murderer go. 7% said they would kill a stranger. Anybody in here like that? Raise your hand. We was about to get you out. (laughs) We're going to lay hands on you repeatedly. Watch this one. 3% said they would put their children up for adoption. Oh, don't be freaked out. Some of you is ready to give them away for free. 
Somebody, I don't need no 10 million. I just need somebody to take them. Don't act all holy. But isn't that crazy? What people will do for money? What will you do for money? What would you do for a big chunk of money? We had a verse last week that talked about how when you pursue riches, it's a trap. And it, it, it leads you away from a relationship with God. Many people have been led astray by chasing riches. So we start to believe a lie. Here's a clue for you. The enemy can only lie. He cannot tell the truth. He's always telling you what you don't have, what you can't get, and what everybody else has. Because he wants you to get your eyes off of what you've already been blessed with and put it on what somebody else has and they're not blessed. Just because other people have stuff doesn't mean they're blessed. Can I get a better amen? Amen. So what's the root cause of all this? The Bible says that the root cause of, of, of all this is the word pride. Pride comes in. You know what pride does? Pride kills. Pride kills contentment and pride kills humility. So pride comes creeping into your heart. And it doesn't come like a storm. Pride generally comes a little bit at a time. And it just creeps in there as humility's leaving. And then before you know it, contentment leaves. You know, contentment's a word we don't use anymore today. You know what I love about the older generation is they're content. They don't need the 2016 F-150. Preaching to myself. (laughs) My wife's going, you better change your message because I'm next for the car. But pride comes in. Watch what Proverbs says. It says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. My kids and I, we have this little running thing at the house. When any one of us starts to get a little puffed up and proud and we start to talk a little trash, the other ones usually go, uh, pride comes before the fall. Y'all get ready. We're about to pick him up off the ground. It's usually my son, but I'm just saying. I've had my occasional prideful moments like right now. So, but I'm convinced of this, that a life of humility and contentment keeps the devil from luring luring you into anything. That if we'll live a life of humility and contentment, it's a resistance against the enemy because the enemy can't do something with somebody who knows they don't deserve what they got. Right? The enemy can't do something to somebody who knows that they're satisfied with what they've got. They're content. I don't need anything else. If God doesn't give me anything else, I'm good. What you going to do with a person like that? You can't get them to bite on a lure. A fish that's already full ain't biting. I believe one of the secrets to success is remembering how you got there. It's usually on your knees. You know, the funny thing about a person on their knees is they can't fall very far. A person on their knees constantly giving thanks to God and constantly having a heart of gratitude doesn't have far to fall. Doesn't have far to fall. So number two, we engage in self-destructive behavior. Watch verse 13. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. 
He wasted it all. He had, he was set up. I mean, if he would have been a good steward, let's just flip the story around a little bit. Let's say his daddy comes and says, look, guys, I want to give you all y'all's inheritance early. He goes, oh, great. And he starts investing that money and saving that money and being wise with that money. It's a whole different story, right? But instead, he came at it with pride. Pride told him that the life he had wasn't good enough, that he needed to get his daddy's inheritance for life to be better. That's what pride did. So he got it, and then he got himself into some self-destructive behavior. Are you getting this? And he wasted it all. So we engage in self-destructive behavior. You know where self-destructive behavior comes from, huh? It comes from living a life without discipline. I've counseled more people this week that are struggling in their relationship with Jesus. And when you boil it all down, what's left in the pot is undisciplined. Are you reading your Bible? That's usually the first question. Are you reading your Bible? Well, you know, Pastor, I've been busy. Mm-mm. Have you been praying? Well, you know, when I need something. Have you been coming to church regularly? Oh, you know, Pastor, Sunday's a day of rest. Yeah, I know. I'm here. Living a life without discipline. So here's the fight of life. Here's the work of your life. The work of your life is to keep your life disciplined. It's the biggest struggle I have is discipline. It's it's choosing not to do this and to do this. It's choosing to crucify the flesh and be alive in the spirit. Come on, somebody. Choosing not to eat bluebell so I don't have to go get a new pair of pants. That's discipline. And the fact that it's not here helps out. Are you following what I'm saying? Living an undisciplined life leads you to destructive behavior. You start to say things or think things like this, and you can answer this for yourself, but maybe you've said this or thought this. I just can't help myself. Well, what about this one? I deserve this. I got myself in more financial trouble by saying that one little phrase. I deserve this. What about this one? What harm could it do? It's not that bad. Proverbs 14, 12, this verse is going to slap you in the face. It says, there's a way of life that looks harmless enough. Look again. It leads straight to hell. It's not that bad. Number three, we try to fix ourselves. It's the third way we get ourselves strapped or we get ourselves into a cycle. Watch what it says in Luke. It says, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Now, he used to own the pigs. Now he's working for the pigs. You seeing this? He lost everything. Do you know that there's always going to be a famine in your life? God will always let a famine come into your life. You want to know why? Because it's in your famine when you realize what you had, what you have, and what you don't need. 
It's in a famine that you realize what matters most. It's in a famine that you realize how many stupid decisions you made before the famine. Right? Come on. God uses a famine to teach us something, to do something. People say, man, what do you think about the world we're living in right now? I think it's pretty jacked up. I'm not afraid. I'm like, bring it on. This is the perfect land of opportunity for the church to rise up. And we're not done yet. I said, we're not done yet. This isn't as bad as it's going to get. You better get ready. You about to get a chance to be the church. There's always going to be a famine. God uses it to wake us up. Sometimes we say things like this. I'm too embarrassed to let people know. I don't owe anyone an explanation. They don't understand me. I don't need them. I can do it on my own. Have you ever heard those statements? Have you ever made those statements? You see what the prodigal son was doing is he realized that he made stupid decisions and he lost everything that he had. And now instead of humbling himself and going back to his father's house, he's walking still in pride. He's still in pride because he's trying to fix it himself. Come on, somebody. He's trying to fix it himself. I don't need to let nobody know what I'm going through. Pride. I don't need to give anybody an explanation. Pride. I'll do it myself. Pride. Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. I just want to get you free. But I can only do so much to get you free. You got your part too. And my encouragement to you today is to stop trying to fix yourself and let God fix you. Let his word fix you. Let his word wash you. Let his word lead you. Amen. Number four, we find ourselves in a hopeless place. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. I bet when he was living at his daddy's house, he had all kind of favor. I bet he, when he was living under his daddy's rules and his daddy's leadership, he had all kind of favor. But boy, isn't it funny how when we walk in pride and we want to do our own thing, favor leaves the building? I mean, this dude's starving. The pigs are eating better than him now. And no one's giving him anything. Proverbs 88.8 says, You have made my friends to loathe me, and they have gone away. I am in a trap with no way out. Today I want to give you a way out. I want you to realize that that's a lie. There is a way out. You know how I know there's a way out? Because I serve a God that raises the dead. And you're not dead. So there's still a way out. There is hope. No matter how far you've dug yourself into the ground, there's still hope. We serve the God that God the God that raises the dead. You don't believe that. We serve a God that raises the dead. He still raises the dead. Your situation isn't dead yet. God can raise it up. Come on. Psalms 34 says, The Lord is near to those who are discouraged. He sees those who have lost all hope. You know what's funny is that when, when we make bad decisions and we get ourselves into pits and we get ourselves in vicious cycles, 
that's when God comes close to us. You know why? Because He loves us. And He wants to walk through this thing with us. He might not always rescue you, but a lot of times He's going to walk with you through it. You know why? Because He wants to be the first one there when you humble yourself. He wants to be the first one there when pride leaves the building. He draws near to those who are discouraged and those that have lost hope. So maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here and your life seems hopeless. Maybe there's a relationship that seems hopeless. Maybe you're in a dark place. You might be here and thinking, you know what, this is my last chance, God. I'm going to give you one more shot. I'm glad you showed up today. Because there's still hope. There's still a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 from the message translation says that all you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He will never let you be pushed past your limit. Some of you should say, oh, yeah. He'll always be there to help you come through it. It's it's never too far and it's never too late. So let me give you the way out this morning real quickly. Here's the way out. First thing you need to do is acknowledge the reality of where you are. You need to realize your condition. You need to realize your spiritual condition. You need to get real with yourself. You need to put aside those excuses you've been living by. You, you need to put aside the hurt and the pain and the, and the victim reasons that you've been living by and all the excuses the enemy's given you. You need to push that stuff to the side and you need to get real with God this morning. That's your first step is to get real. The prodigal son got real, finally. In verse 17, it says, when he finally came to his senses. I'm believing that for us this morning, that we'll come to our senses. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. Some of you are so private You don't want anyone to know. And you've been spending a whole lot of time, energy, and effort faking it. Trying to be something that's not real. Let me give you one of my favorite biblical truths is this, is that God never expected you to be able to do it. He he knew you couldn't do it on your own. You see, the way he set it up and the way he designed it was that you was going to have to need him. The just shall live by faith. In other words, you're going to have to trust God sooner or later. The question is, is how soon do you want it to be? Psalms 51 says, I've been out of step with you for a long time in the wrong sense, in the wrong sense before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for truth. Psalms 32 says this. When I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became day-long groans. The pressure never let up. All the juices in my life dried up. Then I let it all out. I said I will make a clean breast of all my failures to God. Suddenly, 
the pressure was gone, my guilt dissolved, and my sin disappeared. As long as you hold it inside, you're dying. But the second you let it out, you start to live again. The pressure lifts. The guilt lifts. Come on, somebody. Somebody has had to live through that before. When you, when you confess your stuff to God, when you come clean, when you finally say, I've had enough, I can't go anymore. And you just cry out to God from the depths of your heart. What happens in that moment? Your bones become alive. The pressure is lifted. But if you'll never experience that if you stay prideful and you keep it all in and you keep trying to fix it yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, you can't fix it. Heard somebody say one time, you can't fix stupid. I've lived that statement. The second part of, of getting out, a second way out is to develop a plan of attack. It's one thing to be inspired by, by knowing that you need to be real and you need to give your stuff to God and you need to let it all out and you need to come clean. But it's another thing. What do you do next? Next thing you need to do is you need to make a plan of attack. That's number two. Make a plan of attack. The prodigal did. He said, he said this. This was his plan. He says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son Please take me on as a hired servant. The son humbled himself. It's something about eating with pigs that makes you be humble. Makes you realize you're not that important anymore. Makes you realize you're not all that in a bag of chips, right? Why? Because you're eating the stale chips with the pig. So he realizes that he's, he's sinned and he's fallen short and he comes up with a plan. I'm going to go home and he has what he's going to say to his father. He's got a statement to his father. Proverbs 27, 12 says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. You know why we have life groups in this church? Is because we can't all come clean with one another right here today. But you know what, if, if I can get you into a group of about six or eight people or ten people, you'll probably come clean with some things. And you know what can happen in there? They're not going to spread it all over Facebook. They're going to pray for you. And they're going to encourage you. And they're going to they're gonna challenge you. And they may even help you. They may resource you. Come on, somebody. That's why we, we push life groups, life groups so hard. is because you need to be doing life with other people, with other believers. Amen? Number three. You need to do it now. Do it now. Luke 15, 20 says, so he returned home to his father. I bet God wonders today if today will be the day that you come home. I bet he's wondering if today is the day we will let him help us. I bet he's wondering if today we will realize our need for him. Will today be the day we turn from our sin? Do it now. Second Corinthians 6 says this, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. The day of salvation is not tomorrow. The day of salvation is today. 
There's a day, and it's today. Today is your day. You're in a now moment right now. So we acknowledge the reality of where we are. We develop a plan of attack. We do it now. We move into action now. Some of us are good at making plans. We're just not good at taking action. Take action. Number four, watch this one. We humbly ask your father for help. It's not complicated. It's not even hard. God, why would God make it hard? Why would he make it complicated? Why would he make it impossible? Are you with me? Some of you have passed up too many right now moments in your life. You've you've said, "I'll, I'll do it next time too many times. And like I told a young man this week, I don't know how much more mercy God's going to give you. I don't know how much more grace is available for you. But I'm telling you, you're pushing the limits. It's not up to me. It's up to God. But I don't know how much he has for you. I'd like to sit here and tell you today that you can keep acting like you're acting and doing what you're doing and you'll always have grace. I can't make that statement. Where are you at today? Are you ready to get off the roller coaster you've been on? Are you ready to get out of this vicious cycle? Are you ready today to do something? Watch this in verse 20 of Luke. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. I believe God saw some of you come into church today. I believe he may even have arranged a few things to make sure you you get help to get here today. His father saw him coming and instead of sitting on the porch mad at him and waiting for him to come fall on his face, the father ran out and grabbed his son. It says this, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son had a plan and his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Father goes on to put a robe on him, to put a ring on him and to put sandals on him. In other words, he renamed him. In other words, he brought him back into the family. In other words, he forgave him. In other words, he washed him clean because the only way to be a part of God's family is you've got to be clean. And the only way you get clean is when you let him wash you clean. It comes through repentance. It comes through forgiveness. It comes through confession. Amen. We don't do enough confessing today. We don't do enough getting on our face and saying, I'm sorry. We're not grateful enough. I'm just telling you. We're not. That's how we get clean. That's how we come back. And just like with the prodigal son, Father God is here this morning. And he's wanting to wash you clean. He's wanting to forgive you of your sins. He's wanting to set you free. Amen. He wants to set you free this morning.
cool thing about humility is this. It puts you back in favor with God. First Peter says this, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You want me to show you what it looks like? When God is confronted with a prideful person or we become prideful, we get this. It's resistance. God resists the proud. You want to see what grace looks like? That's what grace looks like. He brings you back in. Pride keeps you out. Grace and humility brings you back in. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace was that the, that the son could come home no matter what he did. Grace was the fact that no matter what he wasted, no matter how many bad decisions he made, he still came home. That's grace. But it came because of humility. Pride comes before the fall. Humility comes before the rise. Can I get an amen? All you got to do is humble yourself. Confess your things to God. And he will wash you and cleanse you and bring you right back into the family. Amen? Come on, worship team. I want to give you a chance to respond to that this morning. A little bit later in that verse, it says this. The father makes this statement. Now that his son is back home. And what I want you to see here is I want you to see how God is acting when you humble yourself. The father says this. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Can you hear that? Can you hear that music bumping? Y'all don't hear the music bumping? Somebody's coming back today. And they already got the music cranked up. You smell that? The pit's lit. The sides are being made. Come on, heaven's getting ready to rejoice because somebody's coming back today. I said, somebody's coming back today. So listen, it doesn't matter where you're at. Stand up with me this morning. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you've said or how you've acted. Humility with confession. Bring salvation. You can turn around today. You can turn around today. You can turn your situation around today. It starts today. I told the guys in the men's Bible study this week, I said, you know what, guys, we're all one decision away from stupid. And that's a true statement. I'm one decision away from stupid. I'm one decision away from wisdom. I'm one decision away from the presence of God. I'm one decision away from freedom. I'm one decision away for being alive. You're one decision away from going from spiritual death into spiritual life today. I want to give you a chance to respond this morning. Because I believe God didn't wind all this up for nothing. 
And I don't believe you're here by accident. So if you're here today, maybe you're in a dark spot. Maybe you, you walked in today hopeless. If that's you, I just want you to come forward. I want to pray for you this morning. Maybe you're the one who's here and you know what? You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. And you want to respond to what you heard today. If that's you, I want you to come forward. Maybe you're here today and you're like the prodigal son. You took what God gave you and you wasted it. And the enemy's been telling you day after day after day after day that you've gone too far and you've done too much for God to take you back. If that's you, I want you to come forward this morning. I want you to get out of your seat and come to the front. Now, I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I just want us to make some good steps towards, towards faith this morning. that's you, I want you to come forward this morning. If you've made a decision to follow Christ today, I want you to come up to the front this morning. I'm going to wait. I'm not in a hurry. There's nothing to be ashamed about. If you're tired of your bones feeling dry and life seeming heavy, I want you to come forward this morning. I just want to pray for you. If you've been a long ways off from God and you want to come back close, I want to pray for you this morning. Don't hesitate. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that something changes in your life. Today is the day that you can make restoration with God. Today is the day that you can be redeemed. Today is the day that you can come back into the family and you can get your robe and you can get your ring and you can get your sandals. Today is the day. Don't waste today. Don't waste today. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, if you've never made a decision to give your life to Jesus, I just want you to come forward today. I want you to make a public declaration that I need you, God. That's all you're doing is you're saying, I need you, God. I need you. Don't hesitate. I want you to open your hands towards heaven this morning. And I want you to just begin to pray. Right there where you're at, just begin to pray. Just begin to tell God what's on your heart. Just begin to open your heart to him. You're not going to tell him anything he doesn't already know. You're not going to surprise God. If that's you this morning, I want you to come forward. Just come forward. I just want to pray for you. I just want to lead you. Father, I bless you, and I thank you, and I worship you, and I praise you this morning. Lord, move in our hearts. Move in us, Lord, this morning, we pray.